welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 70, recorded June 14th, 2014. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. Got a couple of announcements before we get going. I have some new audio equipment, which I'm still in the process of figuring out, but it should increase the sound quality of my podcasts. If you've been a long-time listener, drop me a note letting me know if this one is better or worse than the older shows in your opinion. We're now available on Stitcher. If you use Stitcher for your podcast listening, then add our show there and be sure to leave a review for the show within Stitcher. Every review helps. From what I've heard, though, sound quality through iTunes is usually much better than Stitcher. So don't switch from what you're using unless you want to. And don't forget, if you're not signed up already for the email newsletter, go to dailybuddhism.com and sign up right now. It's free and as easy as ever to sign up. If you enjoy the podcast and the website and the emails and the tweets and the Facebook posts and all the other stuff, don't forget to buy the books as well. My two books, The Five-Minute Buddhist and the sequel, the 5-Minute Buddhist Meditates, are now available on Amazon, Nook, iTunes, Apple, and in paperback. You can get it from any place that sells books, so ask at your local library or independent bookstore if they don't already have it. You can get it any format you want, just go to dailybuddhism.com book and follow the links from there. If you've already picked up a copy, leave a review on whichever site you bought it from. Also, especially if you enjoy this free podcast, head on over to the iTunes store and leave a review for the show. I always appreciate new feedback. And now, let's get on with this week's show. And we start out with some rapid-fire questions and very basic Buddhist questions. It's from an email that I received, and I get something similar every few months from someone taking a class somewhere. I'm not quite sure what the assignments are, whether it's to interview someone or to do actual research, which this is, isn't it, but here are my answers to their, these typical questions. Be sure to add your own comments to the uh, blog post when you hear what I've got to say. A whole bunch of different questions, and I've got short little answers. The first one, what has made you believe so fully in your religion? And my answer, it's the only one that makes any kind of logical sense to me. To be totally honest, there is a lot to Buddhism that I don't especially believe. I also consider myself an atheist, but I suspect that will only confuse the issue. Does your religion have political problems surrounding it? Well, there's a whole flood of ongoing turmoil concerning the Dalai Lama and Tibet, which impacts Tibetan Buddhism, but overall... No, Buddhism is not overly embroiled in political controversy. Do you believe in abortion, contraception, euthanasia, and divorce? Well, generally, Buddhists do not agree with these ideas. All of them cause suffering in one manner or another, and that's the big thing to avoid in Buddhism. Of course, everyone has their own opinion on these things. Were you born into this religion, or did you convert? Well, like most other American Buddhists, I converted away from something else. Over in Asia, many people are born into it. Outside of Asia, most people choose it. 
Next little question, what do you believe to be the most incorrect and misunderstood belief of Buddhism? And I would have to say it's the idea that Buddhists worship Buddha. I get that a lot. I mean, he's not Jesus, he's not Mohammed or something like that. He's not a god, he's just some guy. Buddha was just a guy with some very good ideas. Nothing more than that. Of course, there's a lot of people have brought up stories and such since that add a lot to that. But it comes right down to it. Nobody ever said Buddha was anything special at the time. Is the number of Buddhists continuing to rise? And my answer there is yes, but maybe not as fast as more evangelistic religions. I've never had a Buddhist come to the door asking me to convert. Can't say that for other groups. How do Buddhists view warfare in the world? And if you want to be strict about the rules, then war and killing is wrong, no matter what the reason is. It's better to lie down and die than to fight, according to most Buddhists. In real life practice, however, there's often fighting and war. Buddhists have to deal with it just like everyone else. Okay, so those are my rapid-fire question and answers from that email. Now moving on to a longer topic. This one's titled, Appropriation and Commercialization of Buddhism in the West. And this is another reader email asking, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the increasing appropriation of Buddhism in the West. I've been noticing that there are a number of people writing blogs who are accusing people of appropriation if they have, for example, Om or Buddha tattoos or Buddhist jewelry. As someone who identifies as being Buddhist, I am not offended by this, and I don't understand why some people would feel the need to verbally attack others for exploring a different culture through art or fashion. In fact, I would go as far as to say that this is a very un-Buddhist thing to do. What are your opinions on this? And my answer. I did a post on tattoos way back, and that still holds up pretty well. You can check that out, but as far as the Buddhist approach goes, I don't see much wrong with having a tattoo. I think that what you're asking is whether or not, as a Buddhist, do non-Buddhists wearing the symbols of Buddhism offend me? No, and I suspect most Buddhists will agree with me on that. Symbols and pictures are just things. Nothing to get worked up about. Now one thing I find personally annoying are people with Chinese kanji symbols tattooed on them when they don't understand Chinese. The tattoo artist always tells them it means peace, or love, or something nice like that. I always look at people and tell them with a straight face that it means jackass. Then I explain that I don't speak Chinese either, and it could say anything. Sometimes I get a laugh, sometimes I don't. Still though, getting something you don't understand tattooed on you seems like a risky proposition. Some of those kanji symbols have lots of different meanings. Getting a Buddha or an eight-spoked wheel or a lotus tattooed on you if you don't really know what they mean could be risky too in other ways. From a not especially Buddhist but still common sense point of view, well, let's go into hypotheticals for a moment. You get a tattoo of a Buddha on your arm. It's pretty cool, huh? Then ten years down the road, you want to marry a girl or a guy who is a Christian or a Muslim. That's going to be an issue. Maybe you'll even want to gasp. Convert to one of those faiths yourself. Now you've got a problem. Maybe you say that would never happen. Well, okay, but could you have a Christian or Muslim supervisor at work? Friends? Seems like a definite possibility. This kind of situation may be exactly the cause of the attacks you mentioned in your question. People fear what is different, and at least in the USA, 
Buddhism is one of those others for many people. And now a koan. This one's titled, The Gates of Paradise. A soldier named Nobushigi came to Hakuin and asked, Is there really a paradise and a hell? Who are you? inquired Hakuin. I am a samurai, the warrior replied. You, a soldier? exclaimed Hakuin. What kind of ruler would have you as his guard? Your face looks like that of a beggar. Nobushigi became so angry that he began to draw his sword. But Hakuin continued, So you have a sword. Your weapon is probably much too dull to cut off my head. As Nobushigi drew his sword, Hakuin remarked, Here open the gates of hell. At these words, the samurai, perceiving the master's discipline, sheathed his sword and bowed. Here open the gates of paradise, said Hakuin. Okay, next up, another reader question. This one is titled, Depersonalization and Anatman. A reader asks, How does the feeling of depersonalization tie into the Buddhist philosophy? Depersonalization, briefly described, is the feeling that the world is unreal and the self is disconnected from this world, which seems foreign to me. I'm trying to tie it into the concept that we are all one, and that the world is less illusionary in this state. I've heard it described as the evil twin of enlightenment because there is a strong feeling of consciousness and awareness. People who have experienced this condition often have anxiety issues as I have, but I think that this anxiety and the altered perception is more indicative of something that Buddhism could explain better. I'm only just learning about Buddhism. Okay then, my response. According to the Wikipedia article you pointed to, there was a link in the letter, depersonalization is seen as a treatable psychological disorder. In many ways, seeing the physical world as unreal is one of the goals of Buddhist meditation. Buddhism would be fine with seeing the external world as an other. That being said, the part where you are real is the issue. You are not real either. Buddhists call this idea of there being no self anatman, A-N-A-T-M-A-N, anatman. And it was introduced here already. The basic idea is that I am not my body. I am not sitting on this chair, typing at this desk. We are all interconnected. I am the desk. I am the chair. I don't know where you are right now, but you and I are connected as well. I am you. You are me. Scientifically, if you get down to the point where molecules fly around and quantum mechanics happen, this is even more true. We really are all interconnected. The jury may still be out on whether or not our consciousness, if there even is such a thing as consciousness, are linked, but there is a relationship with the physical world. These are difficult concepts, and it's likely that others will disagree on my, with my explanation. The comment section on the blog is for those comments. Now, I'm not sure that I have any kind of enlightened advice for you with this situation. You may need to meditate for a long while on how this concept relates to you. As Wikipedia said, there are medical treatments. Whether or not you want to try those is not for me to say, 
but that is an option. And that brings us to our final question of the week. Should Buddhists have children? A reader writes in and asks, Could you please explain the Buddhist teaching on the concept of having children? Whether it is true by the Four Noble Truths, if you want to stop suffering, you have to find the cause and stop the causing. So the suffering related to children and raising them and leaving them when you die can be stopped by simply not having them in the first place if one decided to do so. And my response. There is certainly physical suffering in childbirth, no doubt about that. There's also mental and emotional suffering when your children are sick and in pain. They have emotional and personal issues as they grow up, which also cause you suffering as a parent. Over the years, the roles reverse, and your aging will cause suffering for your children, as will your eventual death. Yes, children are a great source of suffering. On the other hand, I think most parents will say that it's worth it. The pleasure of having children and watching them grow into successful adults is one of life's greatest rewards. Is this attachment? Yep. Did Buddha warn against attachments? Yep. This is a pretty deep question when you start thinking about it. If you, as a Buddhist, have children and do your best to reduce their suffering, then teach your children about the Eightfold Path and as they grow up to reduce the suffering of others, does that balance out the suffering? Suppose they have grandchildren who spread loving-kindness around the world as well. Children are a long-term legacy that can have effects long after we're gone. Are you, right now, affecting your great-grandparents' karma just by existing? That seems reasonable to me. The goodness or badness that we do in life continues long after we're gone. And there are many other points of view on this complex topic. I would love to hear yours. And that's all I have for you this week. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. And of course, if you haven't noticed, it's far from daily anymore. If you'd like to get caught up on the show, all the back episodes are available on the website. Even though iTunes only has about 20 or so, they're all available on the website. And most of the best are also included in the book, The Five-Minute Buddhist. Available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Apple, and all other booksellers. Most importantly, if you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by mail at dailybuddhism at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. <laughs>